being the time of summer vacation. People come and go. You might not be here every week. You might be on vacation. And uh, psalms are a good thing to preach from and to hear the Word of God because they're little units that stand on their own. You can hear the Word of God in a psalm and uh, you don't have to be there for a sermon series, really. This is the advantage of preaching the psalms during the summer. And I come now to Psalm 123, under the title, A Song of Ascents. I'd like you to turn to the Word of God and see uh, Psalm 23 and read along. A song of ascents, this does not have to do with smell. It's not that kind of scent. This is a song of going up. Three times a year, the men of Israel left their families and their homes, and they made a long journey, depending on where they were in the land of Israel, they made the journey to Jerusalem. And the songs of ascents were devoted, they were especially sung on that journey up to Jerusalem, upward into the hill country where Jerusalem is the capital city and the place of worship, the temple of God. So that's kind of the background. You hear a song of ascents. Let's hear now the word of God. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. That's the Word of God. After the sermon, we're going to sing hymn 69, Low Round the Throne, a glorious band. Hymn 69. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ our Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to deal with people's judgments. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have a care in the world of what, what people thought about you? Maybe you remember Paul said something like that. I could care less if people judge me. It's what God thinks that really matters. Wouldn't it be nice if what people thought about you went off of you like water off a duck's back? Because many people show contempt for you. Contempt. That's a word that shows up a lot. Not an everyday word. It's worse than hatred though. To show contempt is to treat someone as worthless. You're not even worth hatred. You're not worth hating. It's more like disgust. Like, Oh, you're so dumb, I don't even have to deal with this. That's what contempt sounds like. There's a lot of contempt going on these days, even in polite Canadian culture, apparently. Two sides on any issue. Two sides on abortion. Two sides about LGBTQ. Two sides on COVID, if you think back. How can you be serious, people have said. I have no time for that opinion of yours. Contempt is to show 
no respect. It's to call somebody a fool. And Jesus Christ was teaching this. Think of the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He's saying, contempt is like murder. Matthew 5, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, everyone who insults his brother, everyone who says, you fool, is lined up for the hell of fire. Contempt is to deal with someone as if they're worthless. And now Psalm 23. It's saying, how do you handle it when people completely disrespect you? Maybe that's happened this morning. Maybe even here in church. We need Psalm 123 because the Lord is the one who is enthroned. He lives, He dwells in the heavens and He looks down on others. Being high up, He looks down on people, on sinful, broken, not so good people. And does He hate them? Does he hate you? We were singing Psalm 2 earlier. We sang Psalm 2 that there are the proud, that the Lord laughs them to scorn. He shows contempt for the proud. What about you? Does he hate you? Does he make fun of you? Does he wait for you to slip up? As we go through this psalm, I want you to see the mercy of God. The mercy of God to those who look up to Him. And He teaches us to pray this kind of prayer, the song prayer, for His kind of mercy. That's what we're asking. And the message I'm bringing is, have mercy on us, O Lord. We're being taught to pray, have mercy on us, O Lord. And first of all, where to look. And secondly, what to expect. Let's back up for a moment that this is a song of a sense. And it's a song about seeing, looking up, the goal we're traveling toward, the heavenly Jerusalem. Back then it was the earthly Jerusalem. And it's been a joyful time. Often you can hear the joy in the Psalms. I'm not sure if you have Psalm 121, if, if you remember how that goes. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. There's optimism there, right? Psalm 122. How glad I was when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. There are these good times. And now right in the middle of this, you get a lament. A sad prayer. And you're like, come on, pastor. Why'd you pick a sad song? Have mercy on us, O Lord. We've had more than enough of contempt. What happened to the joy? What's going on here? I heard a helpful comparison, someone explaining this. He says, well, just think of a vacation you've been on. You know, you go on a vacation and there are these phases. There's the planning phase, there's optimism, there's expectation and excitement. And then as you're on the road, or let's say you're making it to wherever you're vacationing, there is this relief that's a great stage. That's what you're aiming for, the relaxation, the encouragement. But no doubt you remember times on your vacation where you sobered up and you've had these thoughts. Oh yeah, i got to face reality. 
You go back to work in your thoughts and the troubles there, the relationships that you think of, the brokenness you face. And no doubt you have those headaches even in happy times. That's what's going on here. I, I hope you see how it's understandable for the Israelites that they're singing a song as they're going toward the most glorious place God has physically put before them, the destination, Jerusalem, which is the place where the temple is, God dwelling with them. How awesome is this? It's like another world, you're entering an alternate reality. God committed to being with you. And then there's this downer going on. Lament and sorrow. I got to go back sometime. Meet the people at home. People you knew showing contempt. You probably remember those comments they made as they saw you packing up, ready to go. Maybe they said, what a waste of time. Why are you going over to Jerusalem? We got high places over here. We can worship God the way we do. With the world, people who don't know God, that's expected, right? Unbelievers, they, they can have this attitude. Why? That's a waste of time kind of an attitude. What kind of an idiot would do that? If I step back 15 years ago, I, I was in university, McMaster University, and you know, it's not Christian. I expected going there that as a non-Christian environment, people would attack me for my faith. I would have to defend my faith. That's not what I experienced. They completely dismissed what I said or what I thought as so irrelevant. Like, what planet are you from? Who even believes that stuff anymore? You believe the Bible is the Word of God? You're not even worth an argument. The world is filled with books with that kind of an attitude. They just outright say, and this is a title of a book, God is not great. That's what these people are writing. Or the God delusion. And the world tells you that believing in God, that's just a crutch. God is your crutch because you're, you're not one to believe the truth about science. And the world shows contempt constantly. But now think of this possibility because I start with the world. But what about contempt from God's own people? Your own brothers and sisters. This is real. You have a brother or sister in Christ who looks down at you. And they have all sorts of negative, judgmental poison that they put in your face. I can't believe you are so fill in the blank. Psalm 123 has to include God's own people because believers like David was dealing with his own brothers who showed contempt for him. So often in the Scriptures, I'll just give you the example of Jesus in Matthew 5. Your own brothers will call you a fool. Brothers in God's people, among God's people. The religious leaders looking down on anyone who follows Jesus. What about those voices from God's own people that you are good for nothing? 
there are factions and divisions and there are nasty people. So many quick opinions about worship. Let's say, let's have a debate about worship. What's true worship? It's possible you can think of things that would divide a whole church. And here's Psalm 123. A prayer possibly coming from fresh pain as God's own people are divided about whether or not it's worth it to go to Jerusalem. Come across hyper-judgmental religious people. Anyway, it's, it's not much of a vacation anymore, is it? Because of this grief. These joy killers. You're hearing their voices in your head. You know what's behind their voices? You know who's behind their voices? Satan. He's called the accuser for a reason. Because that's what he does 24-7. Accuses you. You are worthless, he says. Satan likes to take some tidbits of truth, like that you are sinful. And then he'll twist it. He'll say, God who dwells in the heavens looks down on you. Just taking a piece of what we're reading in Psalm 123. And Satan uses that to judge. And he uses voices of religious people who mean well, possibly. Maybe you've met someone like that. And so the question today is, how are you handling those self-righteous comments? Where are you looking? Where do you go for comfort and for strength and encouragement? Because Psalm 123 says, are you looking to the one enthroned in the heavens? I am looking. Are you looking to the one who is in the heavens? Unto you I lift up my eyes. O you who dwell in the heavens. So where are you looking when you are afraid, when you're treated like garbage? Where do you look when you are ignored, sidelined? Where do you look? Because it makes all the difference where you look. You know, back in Denver during COVID, I could tell in our neighborhood which news channel you were looking at. Where you looked made all the difference. I could, I could tell in a few moments in a conversation, oh, Fox News or, oh, CNN. It sure makes a difference where you look. And same here, you have stuff popping up on your phone all the time. You look at what the algorithms want to show you. You look at what grabs your attention. And this is a recipe for anxiety and for worry. What people say, what people think. If you are looking down at your screen and you're not lifting up your eyes to the one who dwells in the heavens, we're in trouble, every one of us. All you get is contempt. So how often do you lift up your eyes to the Lord who's enthroned, who dwells, who sits in heaven? Do you see Him in your mind's eye? Do you see Him in all His glory? And do you see His hands? Do you see your Creator's hands and what the Lord Jesus Christ holds in His hands? 
Because I don't think anyone ever mentions the chains that he holds in his hands. You ever heard about the chains? I know it's going a few years back. Maybe you've heard of COVID-19. I said back then that uh, no one notices the chains because with all the technology, the microscopic images, the electron scanning microscopes, you would see these pictures and it would show you the virus, the coronavirus and the spike proteins around it. What was missing on the pictures are the chains. That these chains attached to every virus was going up to heaven and held in the hand of Jesus Christ himself. Chains like Revelation 20, chains that even hold back every one of the demons, even the devil himself. All of that is in the power of Jesus Christ in his hands. You ever see those chains? I get it from John Bunyan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. Hopefully you've read it or even watched He mentions chains and and there's this man, if you know the story, the man named Christian in that book who is making this pilgrim's progress toward the celestial city which is a picture of heaven and he sees on his path two lions and the path goes right between these two lions and John Bunyan writes this, the lions were chained but he saw not the chains. His friend, who's going along with Christian, his friend's name is Watchful. That's a great name because his friend Watchful is worried. You don't, you're not going to quit on this journey, are you? Watchful says, is your strength so small? Don't fear the lions, for they are chained, and they're placed there for trial of faith and for discovery of those who have no faith. Keep in the midst of the path, and no hurt shall come to you. Now there's contempt. That's Psalm 123. There's negative, judgmental contempt in front of you. Do you see the chains that are attached? Microscopic chains to every snide remark, every comment, every text message. Chains that go all the way up to Jesus Christ, your Lord, to His hands. Because without seeing Christ in control, every worry and every anxiety, everything that threatens you is going to be a disaster for you and you will turn and go back the way you came and quit. Jesus Christ holds all your enemies, big and small, He holds them and He says you can go this far and stop there. I'll let your enemies roar but those teeth and claws will stop where I say they stop. Psalm 123 is filled with this worshipful awe. I lift up my eyes to you, O Lord. O Lord, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Do you look up there? Do you see the God of all mercy? Do you hear Him speak to you? Because he says things like, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear the words of comfort and blessing? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are you, are, are those when 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And what does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you looking up to the Lord Jesus who speaks words of comfort and blessing and encouragement? Because that's Psalm 123. It's getting us to look up. To look up high to the judge of all who judge. And from there, Jesus Christ looks down. He looks down on every accuser that you might face. He looks down on the proud, all the arrogant ones with all their contempt. From up there, enthroned in the heavens, God looks down on every power. Ephesians 6 mentions them. The rulers, the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Psalm 123 is training each of us to look up above those dark voices that haunt you. Do you see the Lord on His throne? And what does He say about those who are proud? What does He say to you? What does He think about His people, the church? Is this God looking down with contempt? Does the one enthroned above it all look on you as if you are worthless? I have no use for you. No, He has mercy on you. And He'll show you mercy. That's the prayer at the end of verse 2. Our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. You think about that. It's, It's awesome that this God who would look down The one exalted in in heaven, in perfect holiness. There's nothing unclean, nothing impure, nothing dark or evil that can be around him. And he looks down from the heavens and he could despise and hate every one of us. He could show contempt if anyone is in the right position. He's created you for glory and what's left of that glory He shows mercy. I want to go to the second thing this morning. What do we expect? We're praying for mercy, but what do we expect? Maybe you're just going to use a word like kindness. Pull out your thesaurus. Undeserved favor, love, grace. That's what we're expecting, right? But can you imagine it? What does it look like? We're praying for the end of the proud, those haters. We're praying for the end of the arrogant people. God will shut their mouths. We get this illustration of what to expect. Verse 2, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. This is a picture of expectation. But too bad it's mostly lost on us because we don't exactly have households that run this way anymore with servants around. It's hard to imagine this, that maidservants and men servants would always be in the room 
And they would always be at hand, ready to listen better than Alexa or Siri or whatever smart device you have. And picture this. Picture a dinner time back then. You have a, maybe it's a dining hall, one of these huge halls where there are chairs and a huge table around and all these guests are seated the family is seated there and at the head of the table is the master the father and the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master can you picture that because these servants they're not sitting at the table they're on the outer wings maybe a little shadowy corner they're standing there just not to be seen but to see because they are looking what is a servant, what is a maidservant looking for? The hand of the master. The hand of the mistress of the household. The lady. And often there is just a little signal, that's all. Maybe a little pointing. Maybe a small wave. He tells or she tells, as the master, what has to happen, what to do. And these servants, they are there watching intently. What do I do? What should I go get? What should I reach for? So the hands are giving the signal. But it's a little more to it because the hand is a picture of power. Pretty much every language interchanges hand and power in language. As the eyes of the servants look to their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of their mistress. This is what they expect to find. Action. A movement. A slight movement. A signal that changes everything. And these these servants are looking at the most powerful hands, hands that change the entire atmosphere, the whole household, changes the mood, right? Imagine this. Let's have some wine. Turn up the music. Change, change the song. The master has, has a position of influence and authority. With the smallest twitch of his hands, he could change all the circumstances. You get rid of that rowdy dinner guest with the slightest signal. So here's Psalm 123. We're looking to God, and what kind of mercy are we looking for? We're praying that God's hands would make some movement. That He would tug these invisible chains. The blessing and curse are in His hands and we're looking for blessing and favor. We're looking for grace and love and vindication. We want the message that God says, you were right to trust in me. You were right to hang in there waiting for me. I'll prove the proud is wrong. I'll remove the proud one from his high horse. So we look to the Lord for mercy, for relief, and we don't want to miss one movement of His hands because that's where we find mercy. And we've been prepared. Hopefully you know the Old Testament and the New Testament both are just filled with mercy. What do we expect? Well, here's an Old Testament psalm. 
We've heard that word, mercy, a song of ascents. Yeah, we're going up to Jerusalem. I, I know what I'm expecting. We're going to come to the house of God and we're going to be flooded with images and pictures the entire temple process. God's mercy. God says, I want to dwell with you. I know you're unclean. You're impure. I insist on dwelling with you, so I am going to make it possible. I will shed blood, the blood of my son, so that you would be at peace with me and I can live with you. And I will promise my spirit to come your way. You know, the, the temple had this inner court, the most holy place, and inside that most holy place, you might remember there's the Ark of the Covenant. And I don't know what your translation will say, but there's a cover on the Ark of the Covenant, atonement cover maybe, mercy seat. How about mercy seat? Blood sprinkled on that. God is committed to living with His people and He will make sure He does. He will never treat you as, as worthless. So in the New Testament, you see the Lord Jesus and everything you've heard in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Him. Mercy, again and again. People coming up to Him, Sir, Son of David, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus Christ enthroned in the heavens. He could look down on lowly creatures and sinful creatures. He could scorn us. But instead, He's come to show you mercy. You should look to the one above. See the one who has sent Jesus Christ to die in your place. God has counted you as worthy. He speaks words of kindness. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We're praying for mercy here. And what you hear from Jesus, he's often teaching and showing it. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Remember Luke 18, that parable? Only one of them is praying for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord Jesus says, only one went home justified. He's right with God. You remember which one? The sinner? The tax collector? The one who said, Lord, have mercy on me. You can't read the Bible without hearing of mercy again and again. And so, let me give you Psalm 147, verse 6. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. What kind of mercy are you praying for? Hopefully you're praying for the, for the proud to be squished, humbled. And you don't have to pray leaping in your mind all the way to the time when Christ would come back on judgment day because there is that time when everyone will be humbled, absolutely everyone who sees Christ on his throne. But what about are you praying for the proud to be humbled today? Lord, have mercy. There are people that are running me over. Humble those who are so sure of themselves. They've made everything so black and white. They look down on me, but they are so far from you and your mercy. 
Psalm 123 closes with these words, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. That's how I translate, exceedingly filled. We've had more than enough of this contempt. Our, our soul has, been more than, has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease. Those who are at ease. You think of the lazy boy, recliner. What should you expect when you're praying, Lord, have mercy? Lord, make them uneasy. That's what you're praying. You're praying for your unbelieving friends, your, your unbelieving neighbors. Pray that they would become uneasy. Maybe you've heard this old prayer. It goes like this. Lord, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Afflict the comfortable. Or another prayer. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. Because there, there are people who are at ease. And you're praying, Lord, shake them up a bit. They're thinking that they're right with you. They have all the answers. And this is our prayer. Use anything, Lord. Use all kinds of fears, troubles. Shake these people up. When I'm at ease... Shake me up. I should be distressed and humbled. You have family and friends and co-workers and people from school who are at ease. They look down on others with contempt. Even religious church people look down with contempt. As if you're nothing. Well, here's Psalm 123. Learn this song. Unto you I lift my eyes, O Lord, you who dwell in the heavens. I should be looking up to you more, looking at your hands, noticing the power of your hands to control absolutely everything. I'm expecting the slightest movement from your hands, a signal that mercy's coming again, that you humble the proud. That's this song. Unto you I lift up my eyes. I can't help but think of Psalm 3, verse 3. It goes like this. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Lifter of my head. You, you imagine a father, the Lord, pictured like a father, stooping down with his hand cradling your chin. Look at me, he says. I am your glory. I'm the one who lifts you up. Trust in me. Hang in there. So, brothers and sisters, here's Psalm 123. Here's God teaching us to sing this prayer. Ask me for mercy. Ask me to rescue you from those who think you are nothing. Ask me to silence the proud. I will. I am. He wrote this for us because every day this week you will hear voices, voices sent by Satan from the evil one, accusations, the contempt of the proud. But will you remember the chains and Jesus' voice saying, oh, you get to go this far and no further. Look to me, Jesus says to you. Call upon me for mercy and I will lift you up. 
I'm the one enthroned in the heavens, the Lord says, and I will stoop down and raise you up. Amen.